Blog Talk Radio. I have an emergency. What is your location? Yes, indeed, there is. I think I always say that because it never ends. Hey, let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you are God, that you are good, that you are here with us this day. I pray that you'd secure this day with your peace, your power, your protection, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear and understand and comprehend what you're saying to us, what your word says, what your spirit says, how we can walk in your spirit, Lord God. I pray that you would encourage our hearts today with the revelation of your truth, because, Lord Jesus, you said, you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So we thank you today for freedom. We thank you for salvation. We thank you that you have finished the work, that you've chosen us, Lord, that we're more than conquerors. You've appointed us to victory. We thank you, Jesus, that you know what's going on here, and you've sent your Holy Spirit to lead and guide us. Thank you for giving us power over all the power of the enemy through binding and loosing the authority to forgive and release from judgment. We thank you also for your promises especially the one that says that no weapon formed against us will prosper. So we ask today for again for that divine covering and protection, that reminder of your presence over us, keeping us, our families, those who work for us, pray for us, love us, and have come to us for help that this is a war and that we ask you, Lord, to secure the perimeters of our lives and all that pertains to us, including the ministries and the things to which you've called us, that those works will be done according to your justice, your truth, your righteousness, your peace the revelation of your love, your freedom. And, Lord, that you cover and keep us in our health and safety, in our vehicles, our finances, our travel, our property, our health, the work of our hands, the fruit of our labors, Father God, that you bring victory and deliverance, Father, through your word, through your spirit, Lord God. And I thank you that you, Lord Jesus, are the faithful witness. You have come to testify to the truth, and we respect, acknowledge, and desire that truth. So lead us today as we look into the subjects of Why do I do what I don't want to do? Father God, amen. Thank you, Jesus. Well, welcome to um, Rescue Radio in Pursuit of Freedom. And today we're going to be talking about so many questions. Um, You know, a lot of times we have so many questions. We we have so many things to do. Your mind just kind of collapses because you're trying to think of what should I do first and what's most important, prioritizing, making lists. And then in the midst of all that, you know, concrete thinking. You've got a million little incidental incidentals and distractions and children and and pressures and finances and problems and it's like life is just as crazy as it can possibly get. And um and we wonder why we can't stay focused and we can't even get into the bigger subject matters ever of why am I here? What's going on? Why do I do what I don't want to do, et cetera, et cetera. So sometimes it's good to just read a book. And uh, the book would be called The Bible. But you say, well, I read the Bible. I don't get anything out of it. It's so complicated. It seems to contradict itself. There are paradoxes. There's so many people who don't think it's all correct. And, you know, you get so many versions and the manuscripts and, you know, who wrote the Bible and, you know, is it really inspired? So we, we throw that out. So we just kind of are so... Um, persuaded easily by the thoughts of our mind or the opinions of others to 
throw away some very, very important and good things. Well, there is the book, the Bible. There's also a new book I wrote called Cravings. And it's a great book because it really starts at the very beginning. It starts in the garden with eating the forbidden fruit. It's with all of the discussion of what happened as a result of taking that first forbidden bite and how that has set up the whole sequence of events that we are challenged with every day, including addictions and trying not to do what I can't stop and trying to quit what I can't stop. And, 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 you know, whether it's a diet or an addiction or whatever it is, all of these things that bring us to destruction began in the garden. And so with cravings, I know a lot of people, when you're hit with a craving, an addiction, a compulsion, an obsession, we try harder to quit it, to stop. I got to stop this. I can't do this. Try harder. We we buy all the self help books and we get the man, you know, go to the uh, medical community for their, you know, how advice and their pills, and then we go to our groups for their advice and their counsel and their twelve steps and forty two steps and twenty nine steps and whatever we're gonna do, and we just get worn out trying to overcome and defeat something on our own, and that's where we become all tangled up. And the more tangled up we become, the less and compelled we are to want to pursue victory or even believe that there could be a victory. So we're talking today about the book Cravings, but I would invite you to join us if you have any questions or comments at 347-215-8051. That's 347-215-8051. And by the way, I know a lot of you are listening later, and that's great. I'm really glad our archives look great. There's lots of people listening uh, I know 10 o'clock in the morning is work time for most of you, but it's also a good time to talk about the things of God. So let's begin kind of weaving in the idea of cravings in the book and the, the issues and the, the discussion there with um, what is uh, the, part of the question, some of the questions. One of the questions that this all boils down to is our goodness or our badness. If I'm so bad, if I'm if I'm so good, if... For example, a lot of people, if you don't know who you are, if you're good, you're bad, that's a basic That's a basic question that we need to know the truth about the, in this uh, discussion, in this war, so to speak. We have some very basic questions that need to be answered before we can understand what is going on here. That's a question in itself. What in the world is going on in this world? But if I am not bad, let's just flip that around for me. If I'm not bad then why do I do bad things? Okay, that's a fair question. If I'm not bad, I mean, a lot of people are taught, believe, believe God thinks and, and says that we're bad, but he doesn't say that. God says, actually, that we are made in his image and um, we are not created depraved, as many of the churches teach. And it's an underlying teaching. It's a theological premise that most people don't ever dig deep enough down to realize that that's the root of a lot of their doctrines, their teachings, their traditions, their liturgy, um, what they do in church on Sunday morning. It all kind of, they really dig it down. It goes down to um, the depravity of man that I am so bad that I can't even make my own um, decision to accept Jesus Christ. So therefore God had to do that for me, which makes me a robot and forces God's love and salvation on me which, of course, then defeats God's whole purpose of freely being loved by us. So, But if I'm not bad, let's just say that I am good, creating the image of God. Okay, that's, that's what God says. 
But then why do I do so many bad things? Why am I constantly, um, you know, doing the things I don't want to do? Uh, and why would I care? Why, why do I feel guilty for doing bad things? Of course, that's a good evidence to prove that I am created in the image of God. And guilt doesn't go well, doesn't fit well with who I am. Guilt is I'm not made to um, live in that place of guilt, a conscience that's full of guilt or uh, should have, could have, failure, et cetera, et cetera, makes me feel um, uh, not good about myself. And so we're always trying to feel good. We're always trying to feel good. Whatever we're doing, it's all about feeling good. And the bottom line there is I'm trying to like myself. I'm trying to eat the food, do the drugs, you know, you know, win the achievements, get the medals, you know, win the race, whatever it is, so I can feel good. But notice there, there's a, a fine, a subtle switch. The enemy, if you believe there is an enemy, we'll get to him in a, in a minute, but let's for a moment believe that there is a devil. And he switched everything around from being to doing. God says you're a human being. The devil says, oh, no, 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 no. It's, this world is all about doing. It's all about you know, achieving, accomplishing, doing, um, gaining, uh, climbing the mountain, achieving, getting ahead of somebody else. So that's what he says. We got to do something in order to be something. And before we can be something, we have to do something to get something. So we have to have something, which would be probably money or position, power, influence, beauty, whatever it is. We have to do something so we can have something. And once we have that something, we use that something to get something so that we can be something. So we have to have things and do things in order to be okay, successful, loved, etc. Now, that is the world's philosophy. And it is an exhausting, demanding, competitive, uh, aggressive, uh, relentless, restless, constant activity that we're thrown into. I've got to do, 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 so I can be, 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 be. Jesus didn't say anything about that. I mean, he never taught the disciples to try to get ahead in this world. He never taught them to try to build a great, great big ministry. Uh, as a matter of fact, I was driving by a, a big church the other day in a little town, a little town of poor people, actually, and because I know this town. And it was a huge big, brand new church of some sort. I don't know what denomination. I don't think that really matters. But anyway, I was thinking, now all these poor little people are going to have to pay for this very, very big building that they are meeting to cloister themselves, to conduct their club meetings, their committee meetings, to create an atmosphere that will substitute for what Jesus actually said to do. He said, go out, and they're all saying, come in. You know, can we do, what can we do to bribe you to come into our church? Can we have a pancake breakfast or a, a, a hot dog dinner? Or we can we, can we pull, you know, you know, little bouncy toys into the parking lot and see if the kids can blow up balloons? Can we, can we persuade, entice, seduce you to come in to see who we are? Jesus, if you look at the gospel, he didn't say, he said, he said don't even take a second coat. Don't even take a second pair of sandals. Just go. Don't, don't, know, don't make sure you got money in the bank account. Just go. I will provide for you. It was all about going, going, going. And when they got too comfortable, he sent the, the persecution, and it scattered them. They had to go. And so with the Lord, it, the, what we call church, what we call the Christian life, what we call living the Christian life is so not what Jesus said to do. 
it's like if you'd ever stop for 10 seconds and look at it, you might be shocked that the things we have substituted for the for the commandments of God, you know, for the Jesus, God, heaven, the kingdom, church does not look like anything most of us in the Western world have set it up to look like. And so because we're so far off base and we're using so many substitutes, counterfeits, um, you know, for the real deal, it is not shocking that we're sick and tired. We don't like God. We're, we're bored with church. Well, of course you're bored with church. You weren't built to sit in church, actually. If you really want to know where you wouldn't be bored, you wouldn't be bored working in your garden. You say, oh, I hate gardening. Well, God made a garden for us, really. And in that peaceful place, we can do a lot of meditating. And we're, we really need to meditate, think about on think upon whatsoever things are pure, lovely, honest, just, and of good report. And that's the opposite of listening to the evening news. Listening to the evening news is a counterfeit, is a, is a counterproductive to thinking on whatsoever things are pure, lovely, honest, just, and of good report. And by the way, this is an aside. We are living in the end days, absolutely the end times. And here's the two things we need to do. We need to rest and rejoice. Now, resting does not mean you sit down and do nothing. You can rest and, and abide and, you know, the, the branches resting in the tree, abiding in the tree and, and being part of the vine and producing some very luscious, yummy fruit as it's abiding and being and resting. Um, so we're to rest and rejoice. There's nothing you're going to be able to really do to stop this locomotive, this, this herd of trains, elephants, stampeding down the course of history to trample into the ground everything that is not of God because God is coming to judge the world. It's, you know, the devil is going to have his, thinks he's going to have the last word, but he will not. So we can rejoice and we can be okay and do not panic. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, look up. He didn't say panic. He says, I'm coming. Hold on. You know, I I will give you faith and I will give you strength, but we're getting off the subject. That's, you know, but you know, that's me. I kind of wander around here and there. But the thing is, so do you. So you were listening. So we're both off the subject together here. All right. Back to the subject. If I'm not bad, why do I do bad things? And that is a very, very fair question. Um, and that is the question we look at in the book of cravings. If I, why would I, if I'm created by God to love holiness and goodness, and but do I ever see it? When, I, when, I'm, when I'm conceived and enter into the devil's kingdom in this world, what do I see? Do I see a divine nature? Do I see purity, peace, holiness, goodness, justice, truth, love, fairness? What do I see the minute I get here? Before I even open my eyes and get out of the birth canal, I have already probably experienced a whole lot of negative warfare in the womb that I really recognize at that point in time as warfare. We just... We just are in it. We don't know what it is we're in. It's like the first time you're ever in a, probably a tornado or something. You don't know what it is you're in. But anyway, so we, we don't see any of the divine anything. You know, you may, find, you may be born, maybe one in a uh, 10,000 kids maybe are born into a decently happy family, someone who knows about God to some degree. But most people are not. They're born into their traditions. They're born into their generational bloodlines. They're born into um, a whole lot of agreements that have been made before they were ever born that are going to affect their lives incredibly to the negative. Um, so you're born into what I call the snake pit of life. Now, 
nobody asks any questions about this pit. Usually you just assume that it is what it is, which is another big acceptance. That's a blank, it's, that's a blank check you give to the devil to go ahead and do whatever he wants because it is what it is. You've just given him permission to do whatever he wants because you've agreed with it. And by the way, everything in this world, put on the top of your paper when you're trying to figure out your life, trying to figure out your marriage, trying to figure out your bank account, trying to figure out why the kids are so rebellious, put on the top of your page, war, W-A-R, this is war, and take it from there. This is not a piece of cake. It is not your fault that we are born into the snake pit. We, if you want to get real technical, never even asked to be born. I never got to pick out the hair color, the the generation, the uh, timing, the nationality, uh, the color of my skin. I got to pick out nothing. My gifts, my talents, nothing. My features, nothing. You just got born, made in the image of God as he wanted you to be. He's the potter, you're the clay. So you're born into this place where now what? Now what do we do? Um, Well, because we're born to love goodness. We're born in the image of God, made in the image of God. So we're born to love goodness, built to love goodness, built to love truth, mercy, righteousness, peace, purity, holiness. And born also created by God, built by God to hate injustice, to hate sin. Because when we get here, you know, those things are irritating to us. We don't like to be uh, imperfect. We don't like to be, um, you know, wrong. Oh, that's a big one. We don't like to be wrong. You know, and we spend our whole life defending our position, our opinion, whatever it is, our training, our nurturing, uh, our roots. We defend it because we are couldn't possibly be wrong. We don't want to be wrong, and so therefore you must be wrong. You know how many of you were raised with that, it's my way or the highway kind of a parent, you know, in or out, get in or get out, you know, and the authoritarian kind of controlling you know, mother, father, that you don't have, they don't nurture you in who you are or what you see or the curiosities or the way you look at the world. They they just, you got to look at it their way. And so when anybody like that is ever challenged, then they become very, well, that's really, you know, they're very controlling and insecure. And so when they get challenged, they become very vicious, sometimes in very destructive ways to keep in line on track. Because if I'm not right, then then I'm wrong. And if I'm wrong, then I'm not right. And if I'm wrong, then, well, oh, that's bad. You know, so we lie to ourselves and deny things and say, well, you know, I can't be wrong. But you know what? We're all created in the image of God. We're all thrown into the snake pit of life. Every one of us needs to be delivered from this pit. So there's no one, uh, there's none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But notice how that verse in Romans chapter 3, all have sinned, there's none righteous, That's talking about behavior. That's not talking about being. And again, we have to sort out the difference between being and behavior. If you don't make that distinction between who you are and what you do, and you think that you are what you do as the devil would have you believe, he's trying to train us, uh, psychologically recondition us like they do in the experiments with rats, psychologically recondition us to believe that we are what we do, then all he has to do to get us to believe that I am no good, I am bad, is to uh, surround us with bad things, either the bad things that are being done to us or said to us or bad things we do. And so pretty soon I'm doing bad things, therefore I am bad because I'm believing I am what I do. And this is how we judge everybody. You are what you do. And that's where we get the word responsibility. It's your responsibility to change, to take 
responsibility to try harder, be good, get it right, do it over, measure up, stay sober. And if you're in treatment, do the program, work the program. So we, we lay these burdens too heavy and grievous to be borne on each other, as Jesus said, of the Pharisees in, in uh, Matthew chapter, I think it's 23. And then we, we go on to beat each other up, and, and, then we beat ourselves, and then the enemy beats us up internally for not being because we're not doing. And so we, de- we defend ourselves. We defend wrong behavior uh, because we can't be wrong. We want to be right. And then we don't surrender to the Lord God and ask for help. So we get all beat up trying. You say, well, okay, we go back to the word war. Okay, there's a war going on. Okay, well, what are the two sides? Well, there's always got to be two sides in a war, right? Otherwise, you don't have a war. So there has to be a division. Uh, and, of course, there was that division first in heaven when Lucifer, the uh, worshiping, uh, you know, worship leader of heaven, if you will, uh, iniquity was found in him because he decided he wanted to be God. And so he usurped, uh, took advantage of his position to persuade a third of the angels to um, go into mutiny with him, and they were chased out of heaven. And that's really where the war began. Um, It began in heaven, and yet it seems like in our religious theologies, we, we truncate, we cut off the beginning of the story uh, and we begin somewhere in the middle, and we don't know how we got here and what happened before we got here. And we, we miss so many of the in, in, initial... It's like, it's like coming into a movie about, you know, in the middle of the first act or towards the end of the first act. You don't know what's going on. And then you go into act two, and all you see in act two is problems. There is um, the, the, the crises, the, the challenges, the obstacles, the, and you get all, uh, you know, swept up into act two, but you don't even know... Who's who, what's what, and who's the hero, who's the, who are the chief characters, who's the enemy. And you play through that movie until you get to the end, and the movie means nothing to you because you didn't get in the beginning to take a side, you didn't get to empathize, you didn't get to, uh, you know, see, understand, or make some uh, decisions about what was really going on. That's kind of how we enter into our Christian faith. We enter into the, the, the later, the last half, of Act One, that's where you fall into the snake pit, or you're born or thrown. Let's just say into that snake pit. But going back to Act One, beginning introduction of characters, you know they say within the first ten minutes you should introduce most of the primary characters. Well, we've got that with Lucifer fallen. We've got that with Jesus. We've you know the Word of God. We have got that with uh, Adam and Eve. And then we see that the plot thickens as you know, Satan decided he needed a kingdom and he didn't have one. God had not created a kingdom for him. He had created one for Adam and Eve. And of course, Adam and Eve were very content and pleased with their kingdom. They had authority. They had no problems. They didn't get sick. They didn't have to work much. Uh, They just picked the fruit and laid around and got a suntan and talked to the fish, whatever they did. I don't know what they did, but they didn't eat meat and they were very contented. They had plenty of things to do. They were not bored. It was perfect. It was like paradise. Could you believe it? You have to imagine paradise because we can't even, we don't have anything of the like down here. So we simply have to imagine these kinds of things. But we also can know, K-N-O-W, that they're true because God said it. Or you say, well, I don't know if there's really a God. Well, go ahead. Think what you want to think. If you're going to go there and want to be there with I don't believe anything, then you've got a lot more questions to answer than I do. You know, we still got a lot of questions to answer, but when you put the, the, the word war, division of sides, there's God, the devil, 
then we have we can begin to make some sense out of why uh, why do I bad do the bad things I do? Um, why do people hurt one another? Why is there war? When will this end? Where's justice, etc.? Your little life will begin to make sense, but you have to put it in the context of the bigger picture. So, in this um, garden scene, the devil had to figure out a way to break the alliance, the love, the relationship, uh, the fellowship between God, Adam, and Eve. And he did that simply with one thing, by persuading them to believe a lie. And God had given the uh, one the, the, the garden full of trees. Then he had also set in the garden the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And for that, why did he do that? Because that was had to be there because he had given Adam and Eve a free will so if there was no options to use the free will, then how is your will free? You have to give them an option to, you know, to disobey or to not choose to do what you're asking them to do. Otherwise, they're just robots. And so he put that knowledge of the tree of good and evil. Did I say that right? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You know what I meant, right? <laughs> Into the middle of the garden. And Satan saw that, Lucifer saw that as his option. If he could just persuade them one time, um, to listen to him, he would have secured their um, their allegiance, their loyalties, their lives as his own property. And because there's one rule in the war between God and Satan for the souls of men, and it's listed many places written in the Bible, but in Romans 6.16, it says, whom you yield yourself, servant to obey, his slave you become. And Jesus said it this way, he who commits sin becomes a slave of sin. So we kind of get this idea that sin is the problem. Sin is the big problem. But actually, the sin is the fruit. Problem is the root. And the root is believing the lie. Adam and Eve believed the lie, the lie that doubt said, confusion said. Did God say? Did God really say? I mean, why would he say that? I mean, he's given you all these trees. What could, why, why would he have done that? You know, questioning the goodness of God, questioning uh, the wisdom of God, and making it of uh, inconsequential, so to speak. Well, did God say that? So he's putting, Satan putting a little doubt, stirring up a little doubt in Eve's mind. Now, you have to realize that Adam and Eve did not know anything about evil. They didn't know the concept. They didn't know. It's like uh, you living um, in the 1800s and they're talking to you about programming or they're talking to you about um, uh, nuclear warheads, you know, in the 1700s, you would not know what that is or could do. So she had no idea what evil was. And so um, when, you know, he said, you know, did did God say? The only thing that Eve had that he could use to get her to sin was her desire. Desire. She was a very bright woman. She was the smartest woman that ever lived. She was the most beautiful, smartest woman that ever lived. She was very bright. She had all of her brain cells working, not just a third of them. And so she was very bright. And yet she had the desire, as we all have desires, needs, vulnerabilities, desires. But her only vulnerability was the desire to know more. You know, more about God, actually. So what's so bad about wanting to know more about God? Well, she had perfect opportunity to to converse with God every day uh, in the cool of the day, walking with him, with Adam, talking about things. Um, And I'm, I'm sure that they were lots and lots of things. They could ask anything they wanted to know. Um, And yet somehow 
this desire to know more. And this is, by the way, write that down. The desire to know more is the curiosity that pulls people into the occult. It is the curiosity that pulls people into all kinds of evil investigations, um, fantasy worlds, um, to the desire to know more. It's pulling people into the supernatural, into the, um, the, 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 the halls of darkness to know more, to find uh, their way. It's not really going to help, actually. But the desire to know more was what Satan hooked her on. And that's exactly what, if you stop and think about it, that's how people get into witchcraft. That's how they get in the occult. That's how they get into the Freemasons. That's how they, they want more. And so the desire. So she was, that's what captivated her to know what was on the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So when she ate the fruit, and by the way, when she looked at that fruit, it looked good. Appearances, very deceiving. It looked good. And she believed it would make one wise. Now, there's nothing wrong with wanting wisdom. Except if God has said, that's not the way to wisdom. But you believe, as she was, you know, I believe, manipulated in her mind to believe that this would make her wise. And so she, be, she ate. Then she gave it to Adam. That was the beginning of the war. That was where Satan immediately took the spoils. Um, that's an old-fashioned word for he, took, he plundered them. He took everything they had. He took the elephants. He took the parakeets. He took the birds. He took the grass. He took the lions. He took the, the sky. He took the, the grass, the ecosystems. He took their minds, their souls. And he downloaded, as we find out much later in Romans chapter 7, he downloaded the body of death, as Paul said, who will deliver me from this body of death? He downloaded that body of death operating software into their souls because they were made up of body, soul, and their spirit. Now, when their um, soul, uh, uh, the download of the death body of death operating system was put in their soul, their spirit was, I believe, darkened like the candle was blown out. And um, I can't say that for sure about them, but I know for all of us that when we're born, we're also continually, there is body, soul, and spirit. But the spirit part of us is not active at the point of, of birth, not on our end. I believe God's spirit is active towards us, aware of us. He made us. He's, he's known us from the foundation of the world. His spirit is hovering over us, watching over us, protecting us, even before we are supposedly, as you would say, saved um, or born again. Uh, but from our end of it, we're kind of ignorant, oblivious, naive, unaware, and then, of course, some of us were introduced to God, you know, through the church systems, um, Catholic, Lutheran, whatever, whatever, you know. Um, you know, if you're a tribe in Africa, you were re- introduced to your types of religion and, and spirit worship and whatever, spirit worship of some sort. But, but the spirit of a man actually in the Proverbs is talked about as a candle. The spirit of a man is the candle of the Lord, searching all the inner rooms of the heart. Well, the, the candle doesn't search anything unless it's lit. And in Ephesians chapter 2, it says, when we were yet dead in sins and trespasses, well, we're alive somehow. Our soul and body are still together. We're operating, walking, navigating, making decisions. So we're still alive in that way. But we're somehow yet dead. So in Ephesians, when we were yet dead in sins and trespasses, but still walking around alive in our body and soul, we were quickened. And that quickening came when we accepted Jesus Christ, believed, confessed that he is Lord that he died on the cross, rose from the dead, that he's coming again. And that, of course, is another whole can of worms and discussion point that 
I mean, the devil's made questions out of things that aren't questions, and then he's questioned the questions, and then it's just all complicated. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the story of the rescue, uh, God sending his son, Jesus Christ, as our hero, rescuer, taking the form of a human being to die on the cross, which doesn't look very heroic at all. That's why we kind of missed that part about him being the hero. Um, but he rose from the dead. But then, of course, the devil had a whole bunch of lies and slander about that. Oh, his body was stolen. He just swooned. He wasn't really dead. I mean, and on and on and on it goes. I mean, the devil just has a lie for every everything. But anyway, if you can get past all the devil's lies and you know the story is very beautiful and very simple, that God sent his son to die in our place because we couldn't, because we were already enslaved. By the way, the Bible does not use the word depraved in terms of human beings. It talks about bad, very, very bad, sinful, wicked behavior that God does not like. Behavior and being are not the same. Beings do behavior, but beings do behavior because they are believing lies. Okay, am I, have I lost you so far? 347-215-8051. Call me if you got a question. Call me if you're lost. Okay, I don't know how to get to... <laughs> Now, please don't call me for any uh, temporary uh, temporal directions like geography, like where are we going and what road do I take? And no, no. But this way we can we can talk spiritually. We got some good stuff here. So anyway, um, but so the war begins. Adam and Eve are now displaced, cap- captured. It's really a captivity. It's a scene of a rescue the captives, and that's just what Jesus did. He came to not only rescue. But he paid the ransom price. We were kidnapped, so he paid the ransom. Um, and so, but we're all held in that place of captivity uh, as citizens of the kingdom of darkness. You and I uh, on this earth are under the, when you're born, we're born into the, the, the kingdom of darkness. The God of this world, the Lord of this world is the God of this world, and he is also the evil one. And um, the Bible talks about being under the sway of the evil one, under the persuasion of the evil one. Everything out there, everything, the devil owns it all. The media, he owns the money systems, he owns the governments, he owns the world, he owns the resources, and he and he, he gives it to whoever he wants to, to bribe, to flatter, to use, to promote his devious end, to rule the world, to rule the universe. And this is going to culminate um, very, very shortly in the most... Uh, amazing, cataclysmic, shortest war ever when Jesus Christ descends uh, on the Mount of Olives and in the battle of, the, of Armageddon um, slays the enemy with the breath of his mouth. I mean, it's just going to be like, oof, you're done. But leading up to that is where we're at right now. We're in that, um, that the, the birth pains, the death pains, the labor pains, whatever you want to call it, just a lot of pain. Um, to get to that point of the final showdown. But in the meantime, we are caught in the crossfire of making a lot of decisions. And so we look at ourselves, the war. Now, notice, a war has to have two sides, but I am one person. And by the way, there's one person per person. Although, here's a little aside for you MPD, multiple personality disassociated people out there, or so labeled. The enemy wants us to believe that, you know, there are more than one person per person. No, there's not. There's just you in there, plus a lot of demons who may be impersonating you to yourself to get you to believe that you are, you have alters or multiple personalities or 
disassociated or this or that. Yeah, the devil does absolutely, totally manipulate our mind, our memory. He programs us. He shuts us down, disconnects us, uh, deletes stuff, snatches stuff out of our minds. Oh, you bet. He is just totally crazy inside of your mind, your heart, to disrupt and discourage and destroy everything about you. He's divided you. Actually, our body carries uh, our, our body, soul, spirit. Now, your spirit, going back to your spirit, is a candle, like I said. But once you get saved, the candle gets lit. Now, you're made up of body, soul, and spirit, with spirit being an option to following the Lord. Now, you don't have to use your soul software navigating system that's full of the body of death anymore because you can follow God by walking in the spirit. That's why he said, walk in the spirit and you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So what happens is that um, the, 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 uh, the, the, the soul, however, is not deleted. The soul is once you're saved, God does not shut down your soul. If he did that, you would die immediately because um, the soul is the navigating software that keeps the body alive. So, you were, you know, so everybody out there who's alive is called living flesh. The flesh, actually the definition of flesh, is the connected body and soul, the soul and body that are connected is called living flesh. When you separate your body from your soul, your, your body becomes a corpse, you die, and your soul flies away. So he couldn't, God could not shut down that negative, uh, corrupted software. The devil had downloaded that body of death operating system into us. He couldn't shut it down. But now God says, here's your real choice. Now you finally get a choice. The choice is you want to walk in that old soul software or the new spirit software. Now, the question is, well, what is the soul? programmed with well when go back to the snake pit remember in your snake pit remember all that stuff that you bumped into as a kid going up i'm no good i'm not good enough something's wrong with me um people don't like me i gotta try harder um i don't feel good i don't like myself um i don't know who i am um etc etc i don't like my big toe on my right foot it's too crooked or whatever so Anyway, all that stuff that's going on, the enemy is trying to use to get you to believe lies. So those lies were formed when you came into an agreement with the experience you had. You experienced things in that snake pit, things that you didn't orchestrate, some things you did, some things you chose, some things you didn't not. They were just happened to you, at you, thrown at you, whatever. And you come into an agreement with an experience, that's the agreement the devil's looking for. Because remember, going back to the rule, one rule in the war, who, who's... Who's, whom you yield yourself, servant to obey, his slave you become. So if you believe the liar, you become the servant of the liar. And Jesus calls Satan the liar, the father of lies, a murderer from the beginning. Nothing good in him at all. Although he can make himself look beautiful and good. And by the way, um, for all of you that are thinking that the devil is ugly and has a pitchfork and a big tail and, and horns, yeah, that's one, that's one of his images. But he can be the sweetest, most handsome, beautiful-looking uh, being, even taking the form of a human being. Um, and so he can take the form, he can look like your best friend. He really can. So don't be deceived into thinking you're looking for some, you know, black-eyed, horrible, terrible. Yes, he's all of that. But he can cover all of that with a suave, beautiful, handsome, good-looking, charming, delightful, flattering, seductive um, Whatever enticement he uh, mask masquerading whatever he needs he has he's able to do to deceive the, the the gullible. But going back into the situation where Paul was saying 
And this is where we see how the war between the soul and the spirit is carried out. Um, when Paul says in Romans 7, um, I'm doing things I don't want to do. Okay, that's cravings. We talk about that in the book of cravings. If you have any issues with addictions, um, any issues with trying to improve yourself, be good, try harder, get it right, uh, overcome, and you feel very defeated, discouraged, and mad at yourself, you, you need to get the book of cravings. It's, it'll, be, it'll be worth it to you. Go to liferecovery.com. Simple as that, liferecovery.com, and go buy it. It's not that hard. <laughs> and you will, it's simple. I mean, we've really reduced things down, it refined it, made it very simple. No big fancy words. You can just understand it, and you can, you can get it. It's easy. So, but Paul, you know, he's, he's bringing up the issue we all want to avoid, as Christians especially. You know, we've got to be good, look good, keep up the appearance, you know, not bring our junk to church, cover over, can't have any problems, you know, don't embarrass the preacher by asking him to pray for you when he doesn't really want to anyway, and he doesn't have time, and what if you don't get healed, and then everybody will be embarrassed to see that God doesn't really work. So don't bring up any problems at church. Um, just sit there nice, sing your song Pay attention. Try to stay awake. That will be a good encouragement to the preacher. Um, say something nice to him when you shake hands at the end of you know, the service. Go out the door. And uh, don't talk to too many people because you don't want anybody to really know who you are. And just, just do that. Okay? That's just going to be a Christian. That's going to be a Christian life. And then during the rest of the week, you can do whatever you want. Um, if you feel a little guilty, maybe you can, you can fast once in a while or you can you know, um, you know, do a good deed here and there and, and make God happy. And Yeah, right. Do you think that that's going to cut the mustard or cut the cake or whatever it's going to do? <laughs> it's not going to do anything. It's going to be a total delusion, waste of your time, and you're not even going to like doing it after a while. But anyway, so Paul brings up the issue that nobody wants to talk about. Why do I do what I don't want to do? You know, and a lot of people don't have an answer for that because they do not put the devil in the equation. We've got this big, the devil has done a marvelous job of obscuring himself looking like he does not exist. Um, and yet we're fascinated with anything that has to do with demons, ghosts, devils, uh, you know, dark arts, black magic, superstition, psychics, Ouija boards. We're just fascinated, but the devil doesn't exist, right? You know, all right. Uh, so anyway, Paul says, why am I, I doing the things I don't want to do, the things I don't want to do, I do. Then he, he, he just hits us with a hammer over the head and he says, it's the sin that dwells in me. And then I say, whoa, 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 Paul, Paul, whoa, stop. Are you saved, Paul? Are you sure you're saved? I'm not sure Paul is saved. Um, he, he might have had one of those false conversions. Or, <laughs> I mean, come on, do we not do that with each other? Oh, they're still sinning. Are they really saved? They had a false conversion. You know, come on, people. Who are you to judge anybody else anyway? You know, when I wrote the book, Taking the Devil to Court, that'd be another good book for you to read. But you can get that on Amazon. It's on a Kindle, I think, uh, PDF or whatever it is, you know, iPad version, Taking the Devil to Court. Um, the reason I wrote that book is because I had so many clients who were Christians, who were believers, who were saved, who had done more to get saved than I had, and yet they were manifesting demons. And so I, I thought, either they're not saved because they're manifesting demons, or I'm not saved because I didn't work that hard to get saved. Okay, so I better find out what's really going on here. So that's why I wrote the book, Taking the Devil to Court. So if you want to know why I wrote that book, now you know. All right, so back to Paul. 
doing the things I don't want to do. Okay, so he says, it is the sin that dwells in me. Then he says it again, in case we were not paying attention to the first thing when you're reading, which we do when you read the Bible. There, there is no book that can put you to sleep faster than the Bible for most people. I mean, you can read the, uh, the obituaries and be more attentive in the Bible because the devil doesn't care if you read the obituaries or uh, Mechanics Illustrated or uh, Newsweek or whatever or, you know, but he surely doesn't want you to read anything substantial in the Bible. So you're, it's getting snatched. Now, could there be a demon that snatches this stuff out of our head? The word, yes, Jesus called it the snatcher, the devil, the evil one himself, Jesus. By the way, Jesus did a lot of, you know, he talked a lot about war, the fighting the war, the, the good fight of faith, the devil, uh, the evil one. Even in the Our Father, if you pray it right to the end, don't fall asleep in the middle. Pray that thing right to the end. Deliver us from evil. The original version says the evil one. The evil one. That last little word in there. Oh, yeah, we can all talk about evil, but the evil one. Ooh, that's scary. You know, that's spooky. And yet we go to horror movies. Does that make sense? You know, I'm serious. Well, anyway, Paul says, I, it is the sin that dwells within me. Then he says, the things I hate, I perform. How many of you are performing things you hate right now? Trying, you know, to lose that last five pounds or trying to um, get somebody to like you, or, you know, whatever you're trying to do. I don't know what you're trying to do. Whatever. Doing things you hate to, get, to, to, to feel better. Doing things you hate to feel better. Doing things that make you feel guilty to make you feel better. How's that work for a contradiction? You know, you know what you shouldn't be. I shouldn't eat that third piece of chocolate cake or that 12th brownie. I shouldn't. But it makes me feel better. So then you feel guilty for doing what you shouldn't be doing because you cannot stop. So Paul is saying it is something, not me. It is the sin that dwells in me. He says, uh, with my inward man, I agree with the law of God that it is good. So he's agreeing that there is a divine goodness. The law of God is divine. It's good. And he agrees with it. Why would you agree with something that's good if you're not good? Why would you care? Why would you care about the law of God? Good or not? Why would you care? You have to ask yourself these kind of very basic questions. Why do I care? Why do I care? You know, why do I care if I feel guilty? If I'm not built by God to love righteousness, if I'm built to be okay with sinning, if I am truly what people say, oh, we have a sinful human nature, yeah, we have been conditioned to receive and believe and live in a sinful human nature, but that's not our divine nature and that's not our first nature. That is the psychological reconditioning of the human being through the work of the, of the body of death operating software in the soul to get you to believe that you have a sinful human nature. We're thrown into a very sinful human, human world full of sin, injustice, and the chances are when you're thrown into a mud puddle, you are going to get muddy, especially if you're a baby. And if there are snakes in it, you'll probably get bit. Now, is that the baby's fault because he got bit and dirty because he was thrown into a mud puddle? Even if he walked into the mud puddle and decided he wanted to play in the mud, is it his fault for getting muddy? Did he think that was going to be a bad thing? No, he believed walking in the mud puddle was going to be a fun thing. And that's why we walk into the mud puddles, because we believe a lie that this is going to be fun. Well, you know, actually the good thing about walking into a mud puddle and getting muddy or even getting dirty, getting your clothes ruined, thank God you're washable. God was looking out for us. So the sins 
the, um, the filthy, stained garments. God's got robes of righteousness for us, and he's got water called the washing of the water of the word to heal and cleanse us. And by the way, you know, really when you get muddy and dirty and you walk in that mud puddle, the baby innately is still valuable. You're still, you're not going to throw the baby away because he's muddy. You're not going to stop loving him because he did a stupid thing. You know, that's what God's love is. He knows we're going to do these stupid things. He knows that we're going to be deceived by the enemy into playing in the mud puddle all the time. And, and, and even believing that it's good and fun. But God doesn't throw the baby away. And it doesn't really change your internal nature, you know, sinning. However, your internal nature can be changed by sinning if you believe the lies. That I'm bad, stupid, no good. I'm depraved. There's no hope for me. Um, I can't be saved. Or I can be saved, but I have to do it myself. Paul actually gets to a, a point where he says, okay, I'm agreeing with God. We're still in Romans 7, by the way, middle of it. He says, I am believing and agreeing that the, the law of God is good. But, 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 I see this war going on where? All around me and no, 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 inside of me. This war going on, the opposition, the setup is inside of me. The war is going on somewhere inside of him. I don't know if it's between his, his liver and his kidneys or if it's between his um, big toe and his right foot or his left foot. I don't know where it is. He's, he says there's a war going on inside of me, inside of my members. Now, what are the members of your body? Well, you've got many things. You've got organs, tissues, operations, functions, cells, DNAs. You've got frequencies. You've got the soul. You've got mind, will, and emotion. So you've got a lot of stuff in there that could be at war. Uh, but you really want peace. You want peace between your body, your soul, and your spirit. That's where the peace wants, we want the peace to be. Because then we're congruent, then we're okay. And we are okay with being okay, which is remarkable. Paul says, okay, there's this war going on inside of me. The one who wants to do good, he says, now this is Romans 7.20. Now you're going to write this one down, 7.20, Romans 7.20. Go look it up for yourself. Paul says, if I am doing what I do not want to do, it is not me doing it. Paul is either very irresponsible, absolutely denying the truth, trying to get out of it, or he's saying something that most of us totally never hear at least even one time in our life. It's not me doing it. And then you say, oh, yeah, yeah, we've heard people say the devil made me do it. Well, the devil made me do it. He can't do anything to you unless he gets you to agree with the lie. And, and we say, well, I never agree with no devil lies. Oh, well, you might have made a passive agreement by not dealing with it, by not resisting it, like the Bible says, submit to God, resist the devil, or by implied consent, like, for example, I need to get closer to God, which implies you're not close to God, which implies you've got to do something to get close to God, which implies I don't know what to get to do to get close to God, so I'm anxious. Now, where is God, people? Everywhere. Where else? Inside of you. Okay, he's inside of you and he's everywhere. So where are you? He's inside of you. You're inside of him. How much closer to God can you get? What's the problem? The problem is an illusion that you believe that you have to get closer to God. The thing is you want the revelation. Really, what you're asking for is how close God really is to you already. Once you have that, you ask the right question, you get the right answer. You ask the wrong question, you always go around in a circle. question is, I want the revelation of Jesus Christ as to where he is in my life and how close I am to him. Because you are as the apple of his eye. I mean, that's pretty close to God right there. But you may not know it. You know, if you don't know it, then it must not be true, right? Because if you don't know it, 
it's not true. Because whatever you think, I'm being sarcastic, not facetious, okay? Just for those of you who might have said, <laughs> what's she talking about? You know, people, it's not all about us, really. It's about what God says, and he's good. All right, so Paul says, when he gets to that that shocking conclusion, there's something going on inside of me that's not me, that's doing stuff in me, to me, and through me that I don't want to do, and now I'm in trouble, and now i got to go to court, and now i got to take the rap, and now i got to explain myself, and, you know, nobody was listening. Nobody paid attention much. Nobody really wanted to give the devil that much credit that he could get all the way weasel in bed himself right inside of your soul, program your soul, control you to do things you don't want to do, and then make you feel bad for what he did to you, through you, and now you're paying the price and taking the rap. That's clever. To agreeing with it. It'd be like if you go to court, you're the plaintiff, and the, the prosecuting attorney, he, he makes his closing arguments, he presents his evidence, he's, he's persuaded the jury, you know, and you're sitting there as a plaintiff, and he did such a good job of persuading them that you're guilty that you now agree with the prosecutor. And you know you're not guilty, but not you. No, you must be guilty because look all the evidence. I've got to be guilty. So you have just taken sides against yourself. How smart is that? <laughs> we are, you know, letting the devil do stuff in us, through us, persuade us, lie to us, trick us. And then he comes back and says, well, it was your choice. It was your choice. Your free will. Yeah, we have a free will. I have a free will to bite the hook or not bite the hook. But if I think the hook is going to be my lunch, I'm going to bite the hook if I'm hungry. So the devil uses my hunger to persuade me, sets up a deception, a trap, a trick, to persuade me that whatever he's putting in front of me is exactly what I need. Oh, I love her. She's gorgeous. She'll just, oh, She's the love of my life. She'll complete me. And he sets up a harlot or a, a seducer or a siren in front of you because you're empty looking for love, meaning, purpose, and someone to love you. And you bite into this luscious harlot or something. You know, and then the devil says, well, it was your free will, so therefore it's your fault. No, 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 no. Let's take it one step further back. Who set the trap? Who tried to destroy me, deceive me in the first place? Was it not the liar, the deceiver? Yes. So am I going to take the rap or am I going to say, God, God, here, God, I confess. I got tricked. I got trapped. Can you help me out here? Confess your sins. Repent. Change your mind. Go with God and say, God, can you help me out? God, I believe the lie. What? I want your truth. What's the truth? The truth is, Jesus says, I will supply all your needs according to my riches and glory, exceedingly abundantly above and beyond all that you can ask or think. But, of course, if you whine and focus on what you don't have, and not be grateful for what you have, then what you don't have is always going to appear greater than what you do have, and you will still be vulnerable to the devil's promises, which are, by the way, baited hooks, promises that he doesn't keep. God has promises. He keeps all of them. However, God's promises are not really instant. You know, I mean, we're still waiting on a couple of them right now, you know, waiting for him to come back, waiting for the eternal life to be made fully manifest in our inheritance with him forever in heaven, mansions in heaven. I'm still waiting on my mansion. I know some people have already got theirs. That's okay. (laughs) I don't think he's going to run out of mansions. He's going to keep his promises, all of them. So even if you and I aren't faithful, we fall down, mess up, screw up, believe lies. God is still faithful. Does that make sense? He cannot lie. God is good. Okay, back to Paul. I don't think we're going to get this finished today. But anyway, do we ever get anything finished? Not really. We just keep discussing. But hopefully in this discussion, you will learn something and you'll be able to make some better decisions about who you are, where you're going, and why you're here. Paul says, okay, it's not me. 
if I am doing, he didn't say he wasn't doing it. He didn't say he wasn't sinning. He said, if I am doing what I don't want to do, I'm sinning, but I don't want to sin, then it's not me. It's not me provoking it. It's not me. You know, how, would you ever think of this possibility that the spirit of nicotine could be actually smoking through you because he wants the cigarette and you are buying them for him? Could that possibly be? Uh, well, yeah, it could actually possibly be. It's very biblical. And more than likely, it is exactly what's going on because you are telling me and everybody else in the world you want to quit smoking, right? You try to quit smoking. You stand out there in the cold, freezing outside in the wintertime in Minnesota, smoking a cigarette, freezing your body off for a cigarette. I really, it can only be described to me as torment, addiction, pain, and definitely not you. But you're willing to do it because if you don't do it, you're going to get hammered over the head with anxiety, fear, craving, 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 craving. He's going to whine and wah, 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 throw a fit until you give him a cigarette. So you just shut him up. What would happen if you say no to him? Then you would find out. If you said no to it, you'd find out what a crybaby he is. Anyway, then you'd see it wasn't you. And that's the first step to deliverance is seeing that what you're doing is not you doing it. That's what Paul said. It's not me. There's something going on inside of me that's not me. And then he says, right after that, he says, Okay, I guess I'll have to get my act together and try harder. You know, I just can't, you know, I'm going to have to, you know, give it a better shot. I got to get that self-improvement class going. I just don't know. Um, I don't know, but I'm going to have to do it. No, he did not say any of that. How do I or what do I? He said, who will? Who will implies who will deliver me, he said, implies I can't do it. Who will take this evil thing, get this demon out of me? Well, Jesus gave us a little hint when he said, cast out demons. What was he talking about? If there ain't no demons to cast out, then he was just wasting words. I, he says, I give you power over all the power of the enemy. Nothing shall by any means hurt you. Luke chapter 19, verse 10, I think. Thereabouts, 1, 10, 19, right in there. He says, I give you power over all the power of the enemy. He says, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Of all of those, actually casting out demons is actually the easiest one. You know that? Because if they know that you know what you know when you know the Lord God, they got nothing. They got nothing they can say, nothing they can do. If they, if you do this, taking them to court, they know that you know what you're doing, they got nothing. They can't say nothing. They got to go. They can't make up, you know, and they, they might hook into each other a little bit and they might be try to hold on to each other and make it a little more complicated. But if you get down to humble and you get down to truth, they can't stay. All right. So Paul says, who will deliver me from this what? Body of death. That same, what he's referring back to is that programming that got set up in my soul through the snake pit and the generational agreements that were made that programmed that program in the first place from the snake pit with the experiences I believed when I was thrown into that pit and grew up in that pit. Did I say that too fast? Don't ask me to say that again. Just rewrite, rewind the tape. Okay, so you can do that on your iPad pretty easy. Just back up that little button and it'll go back and listen to it for you again. All right, so because he says, who will deliver me from this body of death? And he says, I thank God through Jesus Christ, there is what? Now, therefore, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. What? No condemnation in Christ Jesus? Now? When's now? Well, it's, well, after I, you know, go to church, get a perfect attendance at church, pay my tithe, do my good deeds, um, read my Bible, you know, um, do my walk every day. No. Now. Before you get your act together, 
there is no condemnation. I can't believe that. That's too good. That's too easy to be too. Well, it had to be that easy because it's that hard. If it ain't easy, it's hard. And God knew there's no way, no way that us little creatures were any match for the devil. He were not. He's too wily, too clever, too invasive. Can I say clever again, please? Wily. Can I say that again? Devious, insidious, wicked. You are no match for him. And God knew that. So don't even try to be a match for the devil. Just say, Lord, I can't. Who will deliver me? Jesus, help me. Have mercy on me. Set me free. Now, no condemnation to those who are what? In Christ Jesus, who what? Who walk? Walk where? How? When? Walk not according to the flesh. You don't use that old soul software anymore. You don't use that programming from hell that you picked up through the experiences you experienced in the pit, the lies you believed. You don't believe that stuff just because you experienced it doesn't make it the truth. You truly experienced it, but that doesn't make it the truth. However, that forms the basis of all what we believe to be true because I experienced it. Well, what if somebody experienced the opposite? Does that make their truth truth? That we have a truth contradicting, canceling each other out. That's no truth at all. That's a mess. Jesus Christ is the truth. The truth is not a philosophy, not an ideology, and not an ism, not a position, not a political party. The truth is a person, one person only, that's Jesus Christ, not the counterfeit Jesuses. We can talk about that some other day. All right, so then, who will deliver me from this body of death? And he says, I thank God through Jesus Christ. There is now, therefore, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus that would be saved. Now, how saved can you be? Can you lose your salvation? Uh, not really. You know, when you're born, you're born. When you fall down after you're born, that doesn't mean you have to go back and be born again in the hospital. That is, you just keep on going. You put a Band-Aid on the owie and you keep on going. Uh, when we fall down, we think, oh, I, got, I didn't, wasn't born good enough. I wasn't born for sure. Uh, and that lack of assurance, born again, you know, if you didn't know for sure that you were alive every time you fell down, what would you do? <laughs> You'd stop being. You would take your pulse. You would, yeah, take your temperature. Check it out. Am I still alive? Yes. Somebody who might know. No, seriously, you don't. It's foolishness. And this lack of assurance and salvation, it's like, does the Holy Spirit move out every time you think a bad thought? Or did the devil put that bad thought in your mind to think that you thought the thought you didn't think? (laughs) I must be tired or something. Although it's early in the morning, I shouldn't be quite this goofy. Anyway, hang with me. We're almost done, people. Uh, You needed to laugh anyway. It's late at night for you, and it's tiring, and day's over. Thank God. Thank God. Bed's good. All right. For you, not for me. <laughs> I'm not going to bed yet. Anyway, back to the subject. All right. So, Paul, now there's no condemnation of those who are in Christ Jesus who walk, not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So the flesh is that soul software. The spirit is the new operating software of the spirit. God gave us his spirit, the, the Holy Ghost guidance system to live within us, to navigate, to cause us to know K-N-O-W, not think and feel. The soul can only think and feel. I think it's okay with your mind, and I feel it's okay with my heart, but thinking and feeling is doubt and fear. And then you get confused because you don't even agree with yourself because you think you should do something you don't feel like doing, so you're confused. So doubt, fear, and confusion are three of the chief counselors from hell which are running the software of the soul that you're using to try to figure out how to get to heaven and please God. What's the chances that? They're going to give you good directions on how to get to heaven. None. Did I say that fast enough? Good. I've said that so many thousands of times, it's like I could say it in my sleep. (laughs) almost but the spirit god has given us now the spirit his spirit bears witness with our spirit the bible says for what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him but god has revealed those things to us by his spirit that we might know i know that's fast 
But that's you can hear that fast, actually. God wants you to know that that little spirit man that he's given you, that little candle, is to be used by the Holy Spirit to take you on a tour of your life, to teach you, train you, cause you to walk in his peace, in his truth, in the revelation of his truth in the midst of this absolutely dark world. That little candle will shine very brightly the darker it gets. And don't, you know, hide it under a bushel. No. I'm going to let it shine. Remember that? For those of you who might have went to church when you were a kid, when you were a kid, this little light of mine. So the Spirit of God bears witness with our spirit that we can follow and know that we know what we know. Now, if all of this stuff makes a little sense to you and you'd like to know more and you'd like to take it at a slower pace and you'd like to reread the lines and the pages, get the book Cravings. Why do I do what I don't want to do? Cravings at liferecovery.com. Now, this wasn't just a big uh, infomercial for Cravings. This was teaching you about the things that you know. You already know all the things I told you in your spirit. Your spirit bears witness with them. God's spirit bears witness through your spirit that you already know that I said what I said was true. And so why don't you just stop wondering and thinking and feeling and being confused and walk in knowing? You can know stuff. And your mind says, no, 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 no. We can't know anything for sure. That's the only thing your mind knows for sure is that it can't know anything for sure. But then again, your mind can only doubt. So why are you using your mind that can only doubt to figure out what you really need to know? Your mind cannot do that for you. Did I say that right again? Your mind can only doubt. So why are you using your mind to figure out what, you can, what your mind cannot know? Your mind can only doubt. It can only think. But your spirit can know. God wants you to know. Jesus wants us to know. He didn't say What do you think? How do you feel? You need to try. You should. He said, go, do, don't think. Thinking just gets us in trouble because the devil's always in there to try to influence your thoughts. So I know we had lots of questions today that got answered and a lot of them I didn't hear. But if you have any questions ever, you could always email me. Um, I will try to answer them, but I won't answer them very long. I may give you a little short answer Um, at mcole.com at liferecovery.com or you can always call 347-215-8051 when we're on the air otherwise um, let's just pray that this will become real to you God will make I'm so excited that we can know the truth I've always wanted to know the truth I knew there was some truth out there but everybody had their own version of it I am so excited that the Bible is the absolute truth now we could talk a little bit more about that next time about um, knowing you know, what we need to know to get in through this war, to get it accomplished. Uh, lots of zillions of questions. So we'll take on some more of those questions next week. Uh, if you have any questions, give us a call. Um, in the meantime, walk in the Spirit and read your Bible, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And your verse for the day is, this is the verse God gave me for the day. It's First Peter. I didn't even get to it today, so you'll just have to read it on your own. First Peter, okay, chapter 2, verse 11. Oh, this is a really good verse. If you just meditate on this for all the rest of the week, I think you'd be in great shape by the end of the week. Chapter 2, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Beloved, you are beloved in God. God loves you even if you messed up and got muddy. And that doesn't mean that you're gonna, you want to stay that way. It just means that God knows what's happening. I beg you as pilgrims, soldiers, we're not here to stay. This is a journey. We're passing through this place. This is not home. You are on a vacation <laughs> in hell. 
This is your vacation in the hostile world of hell. You're not going to stay here. There is an eternity, and for those who love God, it is an awesome place. Um, we're so generous pilgrims. Keep that mindset, and don't hold on to the things of this world like it's life and death around here. Your life is eternally secured with God in heaven. And abstain from fleshly lust. That's the wants, the desires, the cravings like Eve did, which war against the soul or war even in the soul because the soul makes war against the spirit. And that's where the war is between your soul, which debates with your spirit constantly to try to get you to pick the wrong thing. All right. This week, God, by the grace of Jesus Christ and through the Holy Spirit who lives in us, we're not going to pick the wrong thing. Amen. God bless you all. Have a great week. I want it, and I want it now. Chocolate. A juicy burger with everything. A turtle brownie latte overload. A cold beer. That guy over there. That lady at the counter. Cravings. Intense desires that demand satisfaction often rule our lives. Our cravings have formed habits we can't break, even though they are breaking us. The more we try to take control of our lives, the more out of control our lives become. And we end up doing more and more of what we really don't want to do. In Marjorie Cole's Cravings Manual or CD, you'll find rock-solid answers to your dilemma. No more crazy diets, guilt, denial, white-knuckling, or endless frustration. Just a release of truth from the book of Romans that will set you on the path to freedom you never thought you'd have. To receive your copy or CD of Cravings, just go to www.liferecovery.com. That's www.liferecovery.com. I have an emergency. What is your location? 